Welcome everyone to Invested, a limited series by Behind the Human and KPMG High Growth Ventures. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the minds of early stage investors to surface actionable insights for founders and startups to mentally and financially thrive. And once I realized that strategically, I was well positioned to not just survive, but to thrive during this period, it allowed me to get out of the spin of, oh shit, what do I do, need to do next? Because the answer is just keep doing what you're doing. I think that people are burning out um, way too early because rest and recovery is not as valued and celebrated as the, the hustle at all costs mentality is. And um, it's just that that is a, a futile <laughs> set, of, set of beliefs. Today, I am speaking with Rachel Newman, founding partner over at Flying Fox Ventures. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. We're going to have fun. I've, I had a real fun time doing uh, the pre-interview uh, prep work today. You've, uh, you have a pretty awesome background. You're obviously very active in the startup world. And I love your, your energy and personality. So I've been looking forward to this one most of the day. Uh-oh. So you've set the bar pretty high. It means I need to have... <laughs> you know that it's Friday morning over here. So uh, yes, true. I'll, I'll do my best to uh, fulfill your expectations of my energy levels, Mark. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, I'm going to start with an easy one because I'm sure you can answer this one. Um, and it's just, you know, like what what lights you up about working with, with founders, Rachel? I actually love that you asked this question because um, it's how I like to start any comment about my job. And that is like, I actually get to have the best job in the world. I mean, what a privilege it is to wake up every single day and just work with hundreds of super smart, passionate people who they themselves are waking up every morning, just completely driven um, with like maniacal focus on fixing something for their customers or their community or the world, whatever it is. And it's just, you know, the fact that I get to have some small role in that, you know, in people living and doing what they believe is their life's work is really powerful. And, you know, if I can help in some small way, whether that's, you know, through capital, whether that's through, you know, making the right introductions or having really hard conversations with them, um, that's just an, an absolute privilege. And the, the thing that I don't know if a lot of people talk about is I just get to learn so much. Right. And so like we mm. talk about how we help, but um, my day is so enriched by everything that I learn from the founders I talk to. I mean, I meet, I don't know, something like a thousand companies a year and now only about 10 or 15 of those get investments from me, but I learn something from every single founder I talk to. Um, sometimes, you know, you know, I might walk away and say, whoa, that is the worst idea in the worst market. That is a real dog. But there's always something that I've learned. And how cool that I get to just learn about so many different topics, so many different business models, so many different industries. Um, and I don't just get to learn about it. I learn about it from the person that is probably most passionate about that thing on earth. So yeah, best job in the world. Sorry, Mark. I, I get it. It's my, it's my, it's my honor. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, just thinking about, you know, best job in the world and the state of the world right now, like, 
If you had to pick one word, how would you describe the current conditions for founders? Oh, so I have this tagline that I always use, and then I should challenge myself to figure out if it's true right now. So I always say it has never been a better time to start a startup and it's never been a better time to invest in a startup. And then I always say, and the cool thing about that line is that every day it just becomes more and more true. Now, people might think I'm crazy for standing behind that statement when you zoom out and we have geopolitical distress, we're coming out of a pandemic. I don't know if we're out of it. We, we Our masks are off, whether we're, yeah. whether we're out of it is to be seen. We have <laughs> interest rates rising at you know the, the highest rate of rise that's ever happened. Inflation, highest in 40 years. Uh, there are a lot of people saying like, you know, we're looking at the stock market, especially tech stocks conk out. And people are saying, Rachel, are you, you know, on, on drugs? How can you say that this yeah. is a great time to start a startup? But if we actually look historically, the most important innovations in human history have always come from these times. And so one, this is actually when we need amazing people throwing themselves and their passion into solving real customer problems. And also, um, this is when, as investors, this is when people make money. People make money. You know, Warren Buffett has a famous quote, and I might bastardize it a bit, but the gist is um, when people get greedy, get scared, and when people get scared, get greedy. And what it actually means yeah. is that fortunes are made in downturns. They're just cashed in in the upturns. And so this is the opportunity for founders to um, really identify massive problems that exist, we have plenty of them, so take take your pick of what problem sure. you can solve. Uh, and this is a this is a great time, especially as an early stage investor, to find those incredible founders to you know get in on the ground level, where you know prices are a little bit less than they were last year. Competition for certain deals are a little bit less. Like a lot of the frenzy has been taken out of the market, and this is a great mm -hmm. time for you to form really important partnerships with founders and founding teams. Um, and as an early stage investor, I don't need to have an exit for seven to 10 years. So I'm patient. Um, and so I'm willing to make a decade long relationship commitment to founders to solve a real problem. And there's no better time to do that than in what, you know, one could call a downturn. Okay. I love your perspective because it's, I mean, there's, there's the way the media paints the picture, which doesn't matter what industry you're in and what's going on, it's usually clickbait and fear, you know, uh, as the headline. And in, part of the reason we want to, you know, put this this feature out is to show the other side and 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 not and really do everything possible to not just focus on survival mode, but how do we thrive in these conditions, right? Like, what questions do we need to ask to do that? So I, I really, I really, you know, value and appreciate your perspective. Listen, I, I think that I'm optimistic by nature. And I think you have to be to be in this space, right? Yeah. Because we have to squint our eyes and imagine a world that doesn't exist now. And we have to imagine it and wholeheartedly believe that it's going to come true. And we have to believe it's going to come true when statistically we know half of these companies are going to die and only one or 2% are going to come really, really true. And so just yeah. by nature of our business model, you should know um, Rachel's overly optimistic and don't believe anything she says because she'll only be right a few percent of, of the time. But on mass, I think if you zoom out, um, you know, you said it, I think the media uh, is driven 
by incentives other than, uh, you know, full and balanced truth telling. Uh, it's highly. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, I'll, I'll be honest when, you know, a few months ago when we all felt like the sky was falling, I had a moment where I was, you know, in the fetal position thinking, Oh my God, Oh my God. And then I sat down with my partner, Kylie Fraser, and we kind of said, okay, let's take a look at our portfolio. We looked at every one of our nearly 50 companies, mapped them in a matrix of capital efficiency and valuation and all, but like five of them were in the sweet spot. We looked at our firm, you know, we are a very low cost firm. We work from our home offices, thanks to Zoom and COVID. Um, You know, we don't have to deploy capital um, at a certain rate if it's not right, if we're not finding great deals. And so our, our firm is extremely resilient. And so when we actually, and then we, we looked historically, you know, great deals happen in downturns. And we're like, oh, this is an amazing time to be doing what we do. Um, and so I very quickly got out of the fetal position, got back to work, uh, and we've been steadily deploying millions of dollars, um, you know, since everyone started running around with their heads cut off. And I think some of the founders that we've met during this time, you know, are some of the strongest, um, and what's, you know, we're, we're speaking to fewer founders, but the founders we are speaking to are phenomenal. And so that signal to noise ratio has shifted and that's always in our favor Mm -hmm. means that, um, only those who truly are waking up every day saying I could do nothing else with my time, but solve this problem. They're the ones who we're having conversations with. So it's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice filter. I'm I'm curious, just knowing a little bit of your backstory, like how much preventative training, maybe that's the wrong word, but just um, history from like when you were in school in the US, when you, you know, you went through a financial meltdown, you went through the tech bubble bursts and all like those were huge events that probably are so you can't compare all of these, but like in terms of a global impact, you know, you went through some of these, these situations and you saw, you know, what happened in those times. Like what, are, are there any additional learnings from those, those times in your life to, that you're applying right now? Yeah. Um, Mark, thanks for, um, you know, telling all the listeners exactly how old I am. So uh, I will now reveal my, my age through my school years. But no, absolutely. I was at Stanford <laughs> between 99 and 03. And so what happened in those years is half of my class left to become tech billionaires. The bubble burst. Half of, half of them came back with their tails between their legs. Um, and I got to have a front row seat of that tech bubble. And then I was in business school at Columbia in 07 and own, between 07 and 09. And as we know, the global financial crisis, uh, we're literally at the epicenter being in New York City um, as, you know, we would have presidents of banks come and speak to our class. And the next day that bank doesn't exist. Now, I had this extremely cushy position where I got to watch it all happen, but I didn't have any flesh, uh, you know, up up for grabs. Um, And so it actually meant that I could be quite academic and observe what is happening? What were the drivers that caused this? And then who are the leaders who are emerging out of it? And what are those behaviors that she or he is demonstrating that I can learn from? So when I think about this uh, potential recession that we're in now, I don't exactly have the scar tissue, but I have the academic knowledge. So that prepares me at least, that gets me half half the way. And I think that in Australia, especially, we have been so protected from 
major, um, you know, global economic downturns. You know, during the GFC, Australia was kind of skating through. Um, and so I think that when I look at some of my peers here, they didn't necessarily see and feel and learn from things as acutely as I did. But I can't say that I'm fully prepped for war uh, because sure. I wasn't there in the arena. But I think that that in in some way was an advantage. Like it's so great to be able to learn while you're not bleeding, right? Sometimes it's hard to take yeah. in all the lessons when you have an arm cut off. And so in my cushy, um, you know, university, elite university ivory tower seat, I got to dissect as much as I could. And so what have I taken as I come through here? One is to just be um, resilient in the understanding that I have the right strategy, right? So I talked about being in the fetal position and having my oh shit yeah. moment and just knowing what it what is necessary about stepping back, looking at my existing strategy and being very open and honest around what part of this strategy can continue and what needs to change. Um, and once I realized that strategically I was well positioned to not just survive, but to thrive during this period, it allowed me to get out of the spin of, oh shit, what do I do need to do next? Cause the answer is just keep doing what you're doing. Like sometimes yeah. the way to get through hell is just to keep walking. And for me being able to identify that and to have the confidence when I looked at, again, some of those great leaders in the, you know, oh, 2000 to 2002 or 07 to 09, those great leaders actually didn't do massive changes. They didn't throw, you know, the baby out with the bathwater. They didn't come up with some like crazy new innovative way. They just kept on doing what they're doing and they executed consistently because that's what had always gotten them through. And so as, especially as someone who's like steeped in innovation, I remember my, in my acute freakout thinking about like, how do I throw everything out and build something new? And then I just realized, oh no, just one foot in front of the other, exactly what you're doing. And sometimes that actually takes the most discipline. Um, but it also can be quite comforting because I know what I need to do every day. It's exactly what I did yesterday. And it's exactly yeah. what I did six months ago. And that is my winning strategy. And I'm literally betting the farm on it. Um, and when I look at leaders um, who have won in the past, it's been about consistency and excellence and execution above all else. And that's what I'm sticking to. You know, it, you're, you're touching on some of the work that I do is a, a lot of the, the, the focus to, to my work is all around mental fitness and the, and the practices and the tools and things that we can do essentially to stay calm or to your point, like you, you, you can react, but you're not allowing yourself to start to start to go down that looping narrative where then you're operating from this fear state. And I mean, that's the last place you want to be making huge pivots or big decision changes and so forth. Right. So I'm curious, just like, what are, what are the conversations like with some of your portfolio founders? How are you helping? Cause everyone's different, obviously. And then, you know, you could argue that maybe they don't have the same uh, level of experience that you're coming in or, or, you know, it probably varies, but all to say, I'm sure there are some that were really freaking out, <laughs> probably a little yeah. bit longer. Like, what do those conversations look like? Yeah, and, and the first set of freakouts happened in, call it March 2020, when, you know, COVID 
came on the scene. And then we had another set of, you know, freak out conversations about, I don't know, was it six or nine months ago? Um, and I actually remember saying to my wife, I'm like, oh my God, all of the founders want to talk to me. And she's like, well, that's your job. And I was like, yeah, but I don't expect them to all talk to me at once. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yes, the, the important thing. So first of all, I'm going to say something that's maybe slightly controversial um, and it's harsh, but it's, I, I find that it's true and that these acute events, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a, a recession, it's in the rare cases that they become the executioner of something that is on a good solid path and that otherwise would have survived. What I have found is that they are actually more just accelerating the inevitable. Um, and so what that means is like I, I mentioned earlier, half of my portfolio will go out of business because that's the nature of early stage startups. So when I see these companies that might be falling victim right now, I don't necessarily think that it was COVID, call it. I think it was going to be one of those 50% that was going to fail and COVID just made it fail a bit faster. And as an investor, sometimes yeah. that's actually advantageous because we want those founders working on the next thing. We want them focused on the idea that we'll survive. And it's always a bad idea to throw good money um, at a failing business. So um, I haven't seen- I love that there perspective. Are, yeah, like there are some rare exceptions, of course, but what I tell my founders is, first of all, like if you have a sound business model, if you have- been executing on the right things, if you deeply understand your customer problem and that's in a large and growing market, um, th there might be things that are more difficult in this period, but this alone will not kill you. What will kill you is if you didn't have the right strategy to begin with, your unit economics sucked, uh, you know, mm -hmm. you, you got the product wrong. So one, that's, I think, like a, a reminder of what, it, what moments like this tend to do. Um, and what they tend to do is get really good companies and make them stronger and shitty companies, you know, see, see the exit door. So we got our founders together very quickly when the writing was on the wall and we knew that people were starting to freak out. And the first thing you have to do is just be completely honest, say, this is what we're seeing. Um, you know, this is what's happening geopolitically, economically, these are the headwinds, this is what's going to happen in interest rates, and this is what we think, and economists much smarter than us think, is going to happen. The second thing is, what it then is the implication for you and your business? And the three is, what are the things that we need to do now to best prepare you to manage this? Now, we are in a capital business, so that's the easiest thing for me to focus on, um, and that is making sure. So if we believe that this is going to be a two year proposition, that's what I think a lot of economists are calling. Who knows, you know, with Russia and Ukraine, if, if that will extend it, but let's just call this a two to three year dip. That means that our founders typically were raising money in a 12 to 18 month cycle. And we now say you need to mentally be raising in a 24 month cycle. So that means right now, if you don't have 24 months of cash in the bank, how can we get you that? And we can get you that yeah. in a few ways. We can help you to raise a bridging round right now, get some cash in the bank. You can reduce some of your costs and there are lots of different ways to do that. You can increase your revenue. You know, we love when our mm -hmm. customers are- <laughs> It's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, when our, we raise money from our customers. And so how do we, again, think about, you know, maybe you're working on too many products in too many areas. How do we really focus 
and it, it, it's a, this is where it gets boring and where my Bain experience comes in, but it's kind of business 101. Look at your most profitable customers, making sure you don't have a leaky bucket, trying to upsell, trying to expand you know, their deeper um, share of wallet. So there are lots of just like basic commercial techniques that we need to focus on right now to make sure that we are in the cash position to ride out the storm in the event that your next round is not literally waiting on the corner like it was in 2021. And um, I actually spoke to the folks at KPMG in Australia who are helping to build this incredible series um, where I said, hey, I actually, if I had more time, I would build out like a mini MBA for my founders because... Mm. Right now, we just need to buckle down and focus on the boring stuff like business basics, you know, yeah. revenue minus cost. It's a huge theme coming out of this series, like fundamentals. Make sure the fundamentals are working. Hello, everyone. I want to first thank you for listening to this limited series and let you know if you're looking for more insights and resources designed specifically for startups and scale-ups, we've got you covered. Head over to highgrowthventures.com.au. That's highgrowthventures.com.au. Now back to the show. And that's what it is. It's just the basics. We have to get down to unit economics. We have to get down to understanding where your profit pools are, understanding who your best customers are, understanding where you're churning and trying to plug those holes. Um, And I think that if I'm to be critical of myself and my community in the last two years with the frenzy and the excitement of new innovative ideas, I think that we could have all done a better job at screening for, and as founders, investing in oneself, in business, commercial fundamentals. And so I feel like right now, that's some of the holes that I'm plugging is helping our founders who are brilliant product um, you know, folks or brilliant engineers helping them to understand some business basics because the whole grow at all costs or, you know, there'll be an endless tap of cash uh, is just like, that's just not reality anymore. And so we need to make money the old fashioned way. And that's selling things and selling things at a price that's greater than the cost to sell it. Uh, <laughs> seems, so. seems quite logical. Yeah. So look look at that, that Columbia MBA and that Bain training. (laughs) Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I love it. What about Rachel? I mean, I think listeners can can feel it. I can definitely feel it as the host, but you you definitely have uh, a wonderful energy and just a really, I'd say, optimistic and positive outlook or perspective. And uh, I don't know if you're, you actively do any kind of mental fitness or training to, to, to help shift perspective like that. But what I would, and please do share, but what I would love to know is what kind of conversations are you having or, or uh, what discussions are being had around the mental state of our founders and the teams? And like, how do you, how do you look for that opportunity and stay out of those fear loops and cycles and so forth? Yeah. Um, so I'll answer that question in two parts. I'll quickly just let people in on my kind of um, fitness regimen, which um, I 
I was an athlete at Stanford and I was an, I've been an athlete my whole life uh, until now. Now I'm just a, a mental athlete. <laughs> now I'm actually just <laughs> the, the overly vocal uh, sports spectator. I'm mad for soccer and tennis and all of that. But the point being is that I have benefited greatly from being in athletics my whole life, which has taught me so many skills, whether that's, you know, mm -hmm. seeing the whole field, working with your team, understanding flow, you know, pushing through pain, physical or mental. Um, and because I played um, at an elite level at Stanford in Division One, I, I had not just a coach, not just a strength coach, but we also had mental coaches as well. Um, yeah. I think his name was Dr. Jerry Lynch. Um, he wrote a book called Thinking Body, Dancing Mind. And he... Yeah helped us all with our mental game. And that is the greatest gift I think that's ever been given to me because um, when I was at my most elite as an athlete, I think that my mind was even stronger than my body. And mm. as we know, um, you know, muscles can atrophy and I can't say I've always been, um, I've always kept that mental fitness up, but there are tools that I learned and strategies around visualization, around understanding limiting thoughts, around, um, realizing that so much of our air quotes reality is happening in our mind and that actually if we just play it out, it's usually a very different scenario. So I learned those lessons, you know, when I was 18 to 21. Um, and that has been a great benefit to me professionally going forward. Now, if I think about all of those people that surrounded me to make me elite back then, it would be absurd for me to want to be an elite in my profession without having that same team. So I absolutely believe in this coach model. I have two coaches right now. Um, I have one in the US and I have um, one here in Australia. I use them for different things. Um, and then I have, you know, mentors and advisors who are like the, you know, the Stanford athletic team who, who surrounded me to, for me to be my best. And so I just want to encourage people to think about that because it would be obscene for us to assume that someone goes to the Olympics and doesn't have a team behind her, making her strong, fit mm -hmm. and well-prepared. And so if you want to be elite, um, think about, and, you know, I'm fortunate in that I have people that I can pay. Um, some people, you know, who it's just, it's just a friendship, but, Regardless of what you can afford, seek out those people who can play those roles for you in a formal or informal way. And I really encourage you to use that. Um, likewise, it would be obscene for my coach to put me on the field every single day playing and for me not to have rest. Right. So my muscles like recovery is the most important thing that takes place in in sport. We think it's the training, but actually it's the, the recovery. Um, and so that is where I kind of forgot about that for many years of my early career. And that is every time I inch towards burnout, where I had lost my way, where I wasn't being my best on the work field or in the family field, in the friendship field. Um, it was always because I was forgetting the most important part of elite training and that's recovery. Mm -hmm. And so it's the annoying thing that I am always encouraging our founders to think about. You know, I had mentioned that I'm looking for exits in the seven to 10 year horizon. So we're going to be in this relationship for a long time and it's going to take you decade or decades to realize the full potential of this company. That is a marathon. That is not a sprint. And marathon runners need to train, you know, endurance 
needs a very consistent training regimen that has a ton of rest and recovery built in. And so that's what, you know, I'm always checking with my founders and asking them, how are they doing? Most of the time I don't have to ask because I can see, you know, I, I you can see yeah. patterns in behavior when people are on edge, when they are stressed, when they're anxious, when they're having a challenge that um, is becoming outsized in, in their body or in their behavior. And I just say like rest, like I I'm very lucky. I have a house in Byron and I have a, a farm outside in Melbourne and I just, I give it to founders all the time. I'm like, go stay there for the weekend, go to, you know, bring mm-hmm. your family or go alone and go walk in the, in the trees and watch kangaroos and rest means lots of different things for people. And recovery means different things, but you need to build it in. And yeah, I, I believe this whole like hustle culture has been very detrimental uh, to humans, but also detrimental to returns. Cause I think that people are burning out, um, way too early because rest and recovery is not as valued and celebrated as the, the hustle at all cost mentality is. And, um, it's just that that is a, a, a futile <laughs> set of, set of beliefs. Yeah. Well, just on that too, like, uh- I was just going to say like on the rest and recovery, I'm, I'm happy you brought it up because it, it's something I've been thinking about as well, because for athletics, it it's accepted and it seems to make sense, right? Like it's like you perform really, you put on a really high performance, uh, whatever the sport or event is, and then it's almost assumed that, okay, right after there's the recovery, like these are the, this is what I'm doing and so forth and kind of like rinse and repeat. But when it comes to building businesses, unless you unless you put in that rest and recovery piece, like that doesn't happen naturally in the cycle of, of the company or at least in the first little while, right. Or or where you're involved and so forth. So it's just, if you, if you leave yourself on default, it's a problem. And and that's where you need systems. So sports are great because systems are built in, right? You go and you run your heart out on the field, you come out, you jump in the ice bath, you eat a banana, legs up against the wall. Like we have a system. And that system um, was told to us by our coaches. So that's also a great reason why you need coaches and mentors because they will tell you, hey, idiot, get in the ice bath, put your legs up against the wall, eat a banana. Um, But also it's the system, right? It becomes a habit. And so if you believe that this is important, and by the way, all the data says it's important for you to be an elite, you know, founder, uh, you need to build in the systems because many of us, we're all kind of type A, we all are high achievers. We want to succeed for so many different intrinsic and extrinsic reasons. But if we know that this is important, then we have to systematize it, right? So like if you know that a certain metric is important in your business, you create a system to measure it. If you know that rest and recovery is important for you as a leader, then you build a system and you measure it. So um, you're right in that if left to your own devices, you will default to bad behavior. So you have to systematize this. Are there any, are there any tools or resources that either you find personally helpful or that you suggest to uh, your network of, of founders and teams? You know, there was actually, I, you didn't even um, plant this, but KPMG High Growth Ventures in Australia had done a founder um, program for a number of years that I was lucky enough to be involved in. And there was a partner in the Australian practice 
his name is Scotty. I'm blanking on his last name, but he was an elite tennis player. And he's now interested in, you know, high performance people in, in their non-athletic endeavors. And there was an audit. And there was an audit where you can just look at how much time are you spending on these various recovery activities as well as okay. the things that take energy. And I remember us doing that in the room and everyone just having like a, oh shit moment. Like, first of all, it just shows the way we spend our time is very inconsistent with what we actually believe to be right and what our values are. So one, we have a values misalignment and two, we have this belief set around this is what it need, means to be a great leader, but actually this is how I'm spending my time and these are incongruous. So sometimes just having those audits and I'm sure we'll hunt it down and, you know, we can put a link yeah, in, in the, in the show yeah. notes or something. Um, just having those moments where you see it right in front of you on paper um, is a good forcing point to, to make a change. But then, um, you know, you have to create a system to make it happen. Like I'm obsessed with the book Atomic Habits. Um, anything mm -hmm. around like... I've interviewed James. He's been on the oh, show. Yeah, great. You know, anything that works for you for how to make things... This is back to my earlier point. It actually comes down to consistently doing the same thing over and over. So whatever yeah. you need to do to make something consistent is, um, you know, that's what you'll want to do for... For, for this topic as well. I actually am not a great habit former. And so I have to do really weird things to force myself to form habits. So for example, like one of the habits. Okay. I was, yeah. I'm not letting you, letting you off the hook with that. <laughs> yeah. One of the habits I have is I brush my teeth every morning. Like that's good, right? Like that's one yeah. that's stuck. Thank, thankful to, for myself and everyone around me. And so I just know that's one thing I will do. And so if there's something that I want to do on a daily basis, I attach it to teeth brushing and I mean it literally. Yeah. So for a while I wanted to take a B12 supplement and I forgot it every day. So I taped the, the tube of toothpaste to my B12 supplements so I can awesome. remember to do it. I am terrible at drinking water, which is um, not good for someone who considers herself an athlete. And so I would fill up a cup of water every night and I would tape my tube of toothpaste to it. And so that meant that before I could brush my teeth, I had to drink my glass of water. So just find the thing that you are naturally doing at the frequency that you want to do the new thing and literally tape them together. Um, and then eventually, <laughs> eventually, you know, your own, um, you know, adult behaviors can kick in. But I have to always get down to like my reptilian basic, basic yeah. uh, levels to form a habit. Well, it works. It's, uh, I mean, I mean, James talks about this as well. And I think we talked about it during our interview, but just like habit stacking and, and stacking those, those practices together. But did um, he mean it with tape? Because I literally use tape to stack. He, he, <laughs> he did <laughs> neglect <laughs> the tooth, the toothbrush example, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm sure he was getting there if I would have probed a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Last last question for you, and it's a round question. Uh, a question, and it's just: Are there any questions that we should be asking founders, but we're not right now? Huh. I I mean, the question that I do always ask, but I don't know if people ask enough or listen, is um, I always ask like, why are you doing this? 
And at first it's the origin story. Oh, you know, my dad was sick and I realized I didn't want any family to go through this. And that's why I have this app that measures blood pressure. But then you're like, no, but, but, but really like, why are you doing this? And we can peel back the layers. Um, and it, it, it takes actually a, a ton of trust and, um, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of vulnerability, but once you get there, um, you know, something beautiful, like beautiful discovery happens, but to deeply understand why someone is doing something helps you to determine how you're going to support them throughout this journey, which is not going to be smooth. It's not going to be easy. So if you understand their why, you can help them come back to it a few times. You also can use it as a filter for why they shouldn't do certain things, right? So we always talk about like coming back to why for why you do it, but there's also for why you should not do it. You know, you told me that you want to do X, Y, and Z, but you're doing this. What, like, is this still consistent mm. with that? And we also, there, there are two important things that we need to understand when founders start a company. There is the problem that they're trying to solve, and we spend a lot of time on that, but then there's also like, you're going to be building a business. Like, do you want to be leading and growing a business? And moreover, if we're involved, it's a VC-backed business, which has a certain expectation of trajectory and growth and scale. And so it's really important for us to understand before we make an investment is, does this founder fully understand what she or he is signing up for? in terms of building a business and building a business at the scale and pace that we are setting. And if she says no, that actually doesn't make her a bad founder. And it doesn't mean it won't be a killer business. And it doesn't mean she won't make a ton of money. And it doesn't mean that some investors won't. It's just, it just means it's not a right fit. And so I try whenever I, you know, meet founders or I'm talking to them about pitching, I always say, first and foremost, you need to decide is like, do you want to run your own business? And then if so, do you want to run your business with a bunch of knuckleheads like me involved? And then if you do want to take investors, like we have an expectation of what the shape of that curve looks like. Is that the type of business you want to be building? And I think that in a weird way, too much glory was like rained upon uh, startup VC backed startups as being the only way to do it. I'm actually an investor in another company, um, outside of my startup portfolio. It's a sexual health and wellness company called libido LBDO, and it has vibrators and other, um, sexual wellness, um, items. It's a beautiful company, beautiful brand, and it is not VC backed. It is a solid company. It has very high margins, you know, and (laughs) that is going to be, an outstanding investment for me. It's going to look very different to my tech portfolio. And so one for investors, there are lots of different ways to make money. For founders, there are lots of different ways to build businesses. What's important is that you find the match. So you should deeply be, founders should be asking themselves, how do I want to be in this world? Do I want a big team? Do I want a small team? Do I want to be able to close shop and go to Byron for a month? Do I want to be able to pick up my kids every day from school? Do I want to answer to myself? Do I want to answer to no one? Do I want to grow this slowly, consistently over time? Do I want to shoot for the moon? You have to ask these types of questions aside from, you know, do I want to solve, you know, carbon 
issues, right? So mm-hmm. there's the customer problem, but then it's like, how do I want to be? And then you find the partners that want to grow, you know, want to be on that journey in the shape that you envision it to be. Find those matches. So well said. So many great questions. And you're you're talking to the guy that wrote a book that is full of questions, reflective questions. So you, you found the way to my heart, Rachel, with that last, uh, that last rant on prompts. They're just so impactful. I mean, and because the last thing you want, and I'm borrowing this from James now, um, he's going to have to sponsor this episode, but you, you never want to get to the point where you climb the wrong mountain, right? That's right? And you get to the top and you go through all that effort and you're like, oh shit, you know, that was the wrong one. Um, I've had so, that you know, quite... Yeah, um, no, I, I think we've all had something like that. Where I thought, oh, shit, I am outstanding at the wrong thing. Um, yeah, which yeah. Which is a good reminder that we're never too old to just grab another mountain. Like, I, I'm not operating now. I'm now investing. And, um, you know, I still probably have a few more iterations of my life left in me as well. So just remember that as as well. The days are long. The years are short. You know, do what you oh, love. Well. Well, and you don't, and it doesn't, if you, even if you do climb the wrong mountain, it doesn't mean that you fall right to the bottom. You can swing over to another one halfway up type thing because there's, there's lessons and learnings obviously along the path, right? So Absolutely. this has been, this has been a blast, a beautiful conversation. I, I can't thank you enough, Rachel. You're just a bright light in this world. I'm, I'm happy that founders have your support and your, your energy out there. Um, you know, really just, just backing great humans. So thank you for that. And I mean, at the very least, people should at least be brushing their, tw- their teeth twice a day so they can build two new habits a day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so thank you. Well, I'm glad this episode has been sponsored by Colgate and Atomic Habits. Yeah, exactly. Keto Vibrators. Um, but Mark, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for chatting. Well, Thank you for sticking around for the entire episode. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And again, for more startup and scale-up resources, swing over to highgrowthventures.com.au. That's highgrowthventures.com.au. Have a stunning day.